0: Christians Forgot, and that is on the back of John Moses' brilliant ministry last week. Here's a book that John's done the forward for, John Andrews, who uh, is the leader of our church in Rotherham, as well as a lecturer at Mattersea and also part of the National Leadership Team of the Assemblies of God, has written this book. It's on forgiveness, um, and that is for £8, which is less than uh, the price in a shop. There are a number available on the table. This is- this is a great book on, on, on forgiveness, and John, because of his teaching gift, unpacks the theology of that. He's an Ulsterman, he grew up as a boy in the Troubles in Northern Ireland, and if you read the book, you'll find that his family have had to navigate some of the issues of forgiveness because of what took place. So, they're available on the table afterwards. Thank you. Just one or two things before, as you, as you, if you've got a Bible this morning, you go into Revelation chapter three. Um, Christian's mentioned about the challenges that we've had, and he's been working particularly hard to bring together tonight. I want to say thanks, Christian, for uh, your resiliency uh, in all of that. The fact is that one of the great flagship churches of the world today, Saddleback Church in California. Everybody says what a great church, had 52 different locations before it was able to buy its own property and it's now a multi-thousand strong congregation that touches the nation and the nations of the earth and sometimes God challenges us and we just need to keep going in the Lord. Now it has been a bit cold, I think it's positively balmy in here now compared with this morning but I don't know whether you saw Adam Minot on the BBC News this week with that uh, a glass of cold water in Siberia and he threw it up in the air and it vaporized in a moment it was minus 52 well he came this morning and did the same thing here and it worked you know at nine o'clock and he's gone but uh, ser- seriously it was pretty parky in here earlier and uh, the fact is that we've had a challenging week weather-wise and it can be very distracting for all sorts of reasons can't it you're forever driving with tension in your shoulders um, and just when you think the snow's gone, the weatherman comes on and says it's black ice in the morning. Black ice. You know? So that really encourages us to get out and do church. But we're all pressing through and uh, believing God, and we thank Him for His goodness and His grace over our lives. One final thing: this is absolutely true. I was talking to my Sharon this week. I says, "You've not got a cold, have you?" Because she had quite a bad cold during the autumn. She says, "No, it's not a cold." She says. Somebody came into the shop today and said, Sharon, it's not a cold, it's Qatar. I says, that's the place that the World Cup's going to in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> and what a stitch-up that was! <laughs> <laughs> <good> stitch up. <laughs> but we won't go there. <sighs> Let's create our own FIFA. That'd be great, won't it? Okay. <laughs> Revelation chapter 3 Friends it's great to be together and I don't this morning in the next 30 minutes underestimate the privilege of sharing some of your battle through this morning and we really do thank God for that and it's just wonderful to be together whatever the challenges and uh, I'm going to read these verses because as you'll see in a moment or two there's there's not a word wasted in terms of the imagery that Jesus uses in this final letter of our series and uh, i want you just to get the richness of that as we do so so the final letter to the church at laodicea revelation chapter 3 verse 14 if you've got a bible to the angel of the church in laodicea write these are the words of the amen the faithful and true witness the ruler of god's creation i know your deeds that you're neither cold nor hot i wish that you were either one or the other So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, I don't need a thing. But do you not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and silver or ointment, to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with the Father on his throne. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We come to our final uh, ministry this morning on this short late autumn uh, series, H-Mail from Jesus, and as Christian has already told us, next week we hit the uh, Easter, sorry, the Christmas program in, the Christmas program in in earnest, and uh, it snows at Easter sometimes as well of course, but we hit the Christmas program in earnest, and we're looking forward to all of that, and uh, you've heard the encouragement to bring people along, and we just believe in that the good news of Jesus is going to be declared boldly over these next few weeks in a great, affirming, welcoming atmosphere. So I trust that you've enjoyed what we've been trying to communicate over these last few weeks because it's been all about communication. We said at the beginning that um, 2,000 years ago, just a little less than that, at the end of the first century, they didn't have the technology that we enjoy today. I was reading just this week in a Christian magazine, of a church in America that now has a pastor of digital innovation. How about that? He's going to come here sooner or later. But they're so committed to communicating in a 21st century technological age that they've now got a pastor totally committed to that particular expression of ministry within the church. But of course, two thousand years ago, The main way that people communicated was simply by letters. That's apart from conversation, of course. But to communicate to somebody away from you, it would be a letter. The New Testament is full of letters. We call them epistles, but that's simply what it means. Where Paul wrote to churches to encourage them to be all that God wanted them to be. And the Holy Spirit gathered up those letters and made them part of the canon of Scripture so that 2,000 years later, it's still speaking to us. H-mail, mail mail from heaven, from Jesus, to these seven churches in western Turkey, in a 200 square mile radius, where Jesus, passionate about the church then, and passionate about the church now, wanted to make them come to a place where they could be all that he intended them to to be we reminded ourselves back in October when we began the series that of who Jesus was and of course we're a lot nearer now the time of celebrating his birth as a baby but he's far more than a baby he's the first and the last the beginning and the end he's the one that holds the keys of death and Hades unless you should be in any doubt the letter reminds us a little bit more of what Jesus is he says in verse 14 These are the words of the Amen, speaking of Jesus, the faithful and true witness, the ruler over God's creation. Friends, we can be encouraged today that we serve an amazing Savior. He is the first and the last. He is the A to Z. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the one that rules over all. And as he spoke then, so he speaks now. The first church was Ephesus, and we reminded ourselves of living in first love. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. We then took two churches together, Smyrna and Philadelphia, and encouraged ourselves to be faithful. The two churches that seemed to have so little going for them were the two that received no correction. Amazing. Pergamon and Thyatira reminded us to be on guards, and not to deliberately allow anything to infiltrate the body of Christ that would be against God's purpose and heart for us in these days. And Christian led us in the letter to Sardis last week and encouraged us to be wide awake to all that God wanted us to do. Now my title for this morning um, was in place even before the snow came and it's simply this, Boiling Hot. Boiling Hot. Jesus is looking for Christians and for churches that would be boiling hot they would be enthusiasts we would live this christian faith with enthusiasm and this particular letter is perhaps the most well known of the seven i've heard some pretty poor exegesis of the scriptures that's the interpretation of the scripture over the years i'll try and bring some balance to it in a moment but you do not lose your salvation friends because you're an not an enthusiast but we'll come there in a moment but the imagery of The hot and cold waters would speak very clearly to this church in Laodicea. Let me just read why. He says, The city of Laodicea faced particular challenges because of the lack of hot or cold water supply. A nearby town six miles to the north boasted some famous hot springs that were excellent for bathing and medicinal purposes. And the city of Colossae, ten miles to the east, had an ample supply of cold, pure spring water that was ideal for drinking. But Laodicea faced the daily frustrations of having neither. They had to pump water via an aqueduct from some mineral springs, which was five miles away. The result, often, was lukewarm water that was tainted by calcium carbonate deposits. Water fit neither for drinking nor for bathing, just insipid enough to turn the stomach. You'll see where we're going in a moment. Laodicea also was the center of banking and commerce. It was a thriving textile industry in the city. And also it had a prestigious medical school in ophthalmology, an eye hospital where people in Asia at that time would go and be trained. And i say all of this imagery will come to bear a little bit later on as Jesus takes all of the juices of where those people lived and applied it deep into the spiritual hearts of the community believers so three simple points as we work through this morning firstly the warning and let me say to you as we begin to journey this morning that this particular letter i think is far more encouraging than perhaps what a lot of christians have often received into their lives but jesus is impassioned with regard to impacting these people with this powerful communique and so there are no niceties He goes straight for the jugular and in verse 15 he says, I know your deeds. I know your works. And the judgment of Jesus on the works of the church at Laodicea was this. He says that there were neither hot nor cold. And because you're neither hot nor cold and therefore lukewarm or tepid, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now let me just say something for a moment. You do not Lose your salvation because you're not an enthusiastic Christian. I've heard that preached more than once. When he's talking about spitting us out of his mouth now, he's not saying that you're going to be doomed forever. You can be a Christian, friends, that if something happened to you today, you would be with Jesus forever. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can live your Christian faith unenthusiastically, you can be apathetic, you can run to comfort rather than kingdom. Every time, you will still go to be with Jesus. But here's the challenge. Unenthusiastic Christians make Jesus feel nauseous. He says, I wish you were one or the other, but when you're just in the middle, it's as if I want to spit, or as one translation rather crudely says, I want to spew you out of my mouth it was just like that water that was being pumped into the city that caused so many issues on so many occasions and i want to say friends that the passion of jesus heart then and the passion of jesus heart now is that the church of jesus christ would be enthusiastic that we would be people friends that would be passionate about our god Romans chapter 12 and verse 11 says, never be lacking in zeal. That's a religious word for for enthusiasm. Fervent in spirits, serving the Lord. The word for zeal there in the original language of the New Testament Greek is a little word called zeo, and it literally means white or boiling hot. Never be lacking in being a boiling hot Christian fervent in spirit serving the Lord. Someone says nothing great in life is ever achieved without enthusiasm. One of my great leadership heroes, Sir Winston Churchill, said success is the ability to overcome failure with no loss of enthusiasm. And as I've already said, the word zeal, Z-E-A-L, is often the Bible word that he's really encouraging us in what we'd understand as modern day enthusiasm. What other words can we think about that express this? A readiness of heart. A buoyancy of spirit. The heart of the fan that says I'm sticking with the team. It's called the church. Not fair weather Christians. But we're sticking with them. This guy stood with West Ham through thin. Through thin and thin. Okay. He's just stay with them. The enthusiastic Christian is upbeat, optimistic. The, un- Christ- the enthusiastic Christian is resilient. So when Christian gets a phone call this week saying, sorry, mate, Field Mill's closed. He could have sort of had a pity party. He could have said, what are going to do? I don't know what we're going to... But he's on the phone to me saying, we're going to sort it. And that's part of his gifting. It really is part of his gifting. And, uh, and he sorted it. He's on the phone saying, we've got a place. We've only got it for tonight. We're going to have an amazing meeting tonight. Because if the devil is behind it, he's on a loser. Yeah. And if people are praying that it won't work, they're going to lose. And we're going to have an amazing meeting tonight in the towers. I don't know what I called it earlier, but it wasn't the towers. I said, Eric says, Where are we meeting? I said, We're meeting at Masters. But we're not meeting at Masters, we're meeting at Towers. Ta- I thought it was something to do with snooker, Christian. But anyway, oh, it was a snooker club. Okay. But we're meeting at Towers. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Because we're believing that God's going to do something amazing in the town of Mansfield. Whatever. And enthusiastic Christians said, come on, we're going to keep going. You see, friends, we can have a whole series of Christian conferences, seminars, spring harvest, new wine, whatever you want to say. You can do everything. But if it doesn't impact the spiritual temperature of the church, it's all in vain. They said... We're rich, we've acquired wealth and we don't need a thing. And the problem, friends, of that challenge to a 21st century Western civilization is no less great. Because I'm convinced that there are churches around, not this one, but I'm convinced there are churches around that are waxing lyrical about how wealthy they are, how great they are, how good they are. And they've told Jesus... They don't need a thing. In fact, we don't want the Holy Spirit coming to the church to spoil it. We just want to carry on with what we're doing. Listen to what Steve Travers says. He says the Laodicean and smugness about their wealth has a remarkably modern ring. Increasing prosperity has a numbing effect on Christians, as any as on anyone else. We come to take for granted that our standard of living will continue to rise. We adjust our expenditure to take into account pay increases. The whole clutter of materialism so easily blunts our spiritual awareness. Nothing wrong with those things, as long as those things don't become more important than the thing. And the reason uh, for why we live, we don't have to pray for our daily bread because we know it's waiting for us at a friendly supermarket, not at my supermarket at 8 30 last Wednesday morning. All the bread had gone, David got it, but uh, all the bread had gone. Why is it, friends, that when it snows, everybody needs 20 loaves? But, uh, but that's, you know, I mean, I like toast, but not that much, you know. It goes on to say, gradually and unnoticed, the thought steals upon us that our everyday lives can continue without much attention to God. A Christian's been passionately encouraging us at team meetings to keep our devotional life on track but some people ignore that because they don't need him anymore we can save him for the difficult times help when he'll be there to help us out but we have lost the simplicity of the disciple whose eyes are sharply focused on the love and the demands of God because there is no other source of security to cloud the vision and what is true of the individual Christian is true for churches also they can come to rely more on the wealth of their traditions the stability of their income and the efficiency of their systems rather than the living god see I, i've been to africa this year where somebody got a belief for the equivalent of 285 to pay for their fees for the week and god had got to show up because they'd not got it Ten thousand ugandan shillings come buy a big mac meal for 285 and they, they believe god's And some of them got to Thursday and they believe in God and then all of a sudden the money comes from somewhere. You see, and and the thing is, friends, that we must never, in all the challenges that we face, and a different culture that we're placed in, come to a place where we rely on ourselves rather than the Lord. Because Jesus said to this church, hang on a minute, this is what my take is on you. He says, don't you realize that that self-sufficiency means that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. And he brought this piercing, penetrative word to the Lord, not so that they lost their salvation, but so they could come back to a reliance upon him. And God, friends, wants to help us for his glory. Here's eight points, I'm not going to comment on them, that are hallmarks of a self-sufficient church that has dethroned Jesus from where he needs to be as king and lord. Number one, self-sufficient churches stop taking new paths. They become dwellers. They're always talking about what happened in the past. Thank God for what happened in the past, friends, because the past helps us to shape the future, but we can't live there. Self-sufficient churches become internalized clubs. They stop becoming outward facing, so they stop welcoming new people into the church. It wasn't that long ago where I took somebody from this church with me on Sunday night ministry to a church not that far from here, 25 miles from here. He was about to sit in the chair when somebody says, hey, like that, lovely spirit of Christ coming through. Hey, you can't sit in that chair because that's where I sit. That's a self-sufficient Christian. She didn't know that he was a believer maturing the faith that could deal with it. I could have been bringing him from work for the first time. And friends, in the culture of Arena Church, we don't want, there's no seat for anybody. There's no special place that you sit. I know that folks sit with people out of connection and relationship, but it goes in on itself. A self-sufficient church is taken up with image rather than character. A self-sufficient church is taken up with club activities rather than serving the community. A self-sufficient church tells enthusiastic people to get over it. Calm down. People will think you're fanatical. And it douses enthusiasm. A self-sufficient church is a haven from change rather than an agency for change. In other words, it stops being prophetic. And prophetic church, friends, is far more than a word of prophecy. We need that. It is a haven for change. It speaks into its community. It sees the need and responds. A self-sufficient church is program-driven rather than purpose-driven. And a self-sufficient church begins new ventures but never completes them because they don't understand the Nehemiah principle of don't stop me now. talking to somebody just last night at Richard Taylor's Farewell. Richard, the healing minister that served this town and his church for 24 years, he retires this morning, speaks his final message. There was a night of honor for him yesterday. I was speaking to somebody that says, I'm just going into a new expression of ministry in my life. I can't believe the difficulties we've had with my elderly parents, etc., says you need to understand the Nehemiah principle that as God's trying to do more in your life, things will come to you to try and stop you before you've started. See it for what it is, press through and take hold of all that God has got for your life. That's what enthusiasts do. Brothers and sisters, without any sense of apology or shamefulness, Arena Church is on the enthusiastic side of the Christian church. It's led by enthusiasts. And it's led by enthusiasts to encourage every person, be it here or just up the motorway at Mansfield, to live their lives Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, enthusiastically for the cause of Jesus and for the kingdom. And we must continually watch the temperature of the thermometer in the life of the church. And if it begins to plummet, we must always address it as Jesus addressed the church here. Not only the warning, but secondly, briefly, the advice. I want you to notice in this letter that although Jesus brought a a reprimand, he didn't bring rejection. He did not bring rejection. This is not a message of despair. This is a message of hope and impartation and inspiration. And he gives three things to these people in verse 18 where he draws upon the context of community that they found themselves in firstly i've already said that they were the leading city of commerce at that time so he says to them buy gold refined by fire in other words return to the true nature of the faith one peter chapter one and verse seven says that our faith much more precious than gold though it be refined by fire will be found unto the praise and honor of Jesus Christ at his appearing. And friends, what is much more valuable than whatever we've got or not got in our bank or building society accounts is the faith. The faith. And Jesus calls these people to enthusiastically return to being passionate about the faith. Number two, it was a textile center. So he says to them, I want you to wear white clothes so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. Now, was Jesus instituting a new Christian denomination where everybody, instead of coming in black and they're still doing some of the strong holiness churches in America, everybody turned up in white? No, he wasn't saying that. It was symbolism. It was a call, friends, for the Christian church to come back to purity and holiness, which white speaks about in the Scriptures. It washes white as snow. We sung it this morning. I want to say, friends, that Arena Church is committed to holy living. It's committed in the right sense of the word, not because of weirdness or oddness, but for Arena Church to live differently to the standards and spirit of this age. It's committed to us living morally upright before the Lord. It's committed to us implementing all the things that the Bible teaches us to do, whatever the pressures, to wear white clothes. And thirdly, remember the prestigious eye hospital he says, I want you to anoint your eye with salver or ointment so that you can see. I wonder if there's anybody here this morning that's got a foreign body in their eye at times. And your wife, your husband said, no, nah, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. Get on with it. And then he said, no, it's, it's really bad. So you end up going to the community hospital at Ilkeston or the locality of where you live. And the nurse says, oh, ooh. And there's a lot of ooh and aah And she says, yeah, you've got something there. I'll take it out. And then there's a squeeze of ointment. And initially, it stings. But then it begins to minister, to soothe. And you blink your eye. And perhaps for the first time in a day or two, you begin to see. And of course, oil speaks of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Brothers and sisters... Jesus, in the power of the Spirit in these days, is squirting out ointment into people's eyes if only they will receive it. You see, unenthusiastic churches and Christians lose vision. And the Bible says that without vision, people cast off restraint. In other words, they start to do their own thing. They exacerbate self-sufficiency they move further and further away from God to say we're going to continually do our thing because they're not seeing what he is seeing. Helen Keller, some of you may have read her writings, a brilliant American blind writer and poet with other physical issues as well, born in Massachusetts in the States, was asked one day, Miss Keller, what is the thing that you can think is worse than being blind? She says the thing that is worse than being physically blind to have physical vision, but no vision. And brothers and sisters, enthusiastic churches see something. They allow the ointment of the spirit to continually be squirted into their spiritual eyes so that they may see. And this church is seeing things. It's seen, It's seen things again this morning. We've responded in mercy because we've seen kids on Christmas Day not getting any decent presents. We've seen all the issues of that. And some of you have read about some of those poverty issues in the papers again this week. We've seen that church is not just about local, but it's about regional. It's about cross-cultural Samaria. It's about the ends of the earth. Friends, with no sense of pride or arrogance, we are continually seeing that this community of believers, in terms of giving, praying, going and sending, can touch the ends of the earth. Because we're enthusiasts and we've seen some. And so, the warning, the advice, and finally, the invitation. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. Please read Romans chapter 12, verses 5 to 13 sometime this week, because it gives you a beautiful picture there of God's heart for us, passionately loving, and yet shaping us with discipline. Those of you that have been parents that have got a heart to see your kids grow up to be reasonable human beings will know that at times that you have to bring discipline. You'll work that through in different ways. Sometimes it hurts you more than it hurts them. But the reality is, friends, that it's not because you hate your kids or don't love your kids. It's because you're passionate about them being all that God wants them to be. And so you bring discipline. And some of us turn up at church and God speaks to us by his word and we think God's got it in for us. No, that's a sure sign that he loves you. He loves you. And as you yield to the disciplines of God over your life, you will find yourself growing amazingly. You see, he says, that, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. Now, I know that it's been a great gospel message over the years and people have got up. And you know, God's so gracious, folks have got saved. And I'm not going to fall out with people, but this is not a gospel message in its purity. It's a message to the church. Jesus says, I'm standing at the door. This wasn't a Jesus that says, you've lost forever. He says, I want to get back in. And lukewarm, unenthusiastic churches always bolt the door to the invading presence of Jesus. That's why some churches can pray till they're blue in the face for revival. They don't mean it. Because revival is not normal. Moves of God, friends, are not normal. God breaking in and doing different things is not normal. Whoa, oh, meeting's gone on a bit. Oh, oh, you know, what was all that about? Somebody fell over. What was all that about? Oh, i tell you what, Jesus, you just better stay outside and let us carry on doing church without you. Thanks very much. But all over the world, Jesus is knocking and saying, if you'll let me come in in the glory of my presence, I will do amazing things somebody was healed the other week in Mansfield without anybody going near them, just in the glory of his presence. And we're believing, friends, across this church, that broken people are going to come to church at times, fill in their lives with all sorts of nonsense and junk at the moment, and be healed even before anybody spoke to them. Yes. Be healed even before they've heard the message. Be healed even before Christians brought the invitation. Yes. Because Jesus, you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. And you can do what you want to do. You see, the Bible tells us that without Jesus, we can do nothing. But when he invades the life of our lives and the church, it says in verse 21, we'll be overcomers. And as he reigns with God, so we will reign with him. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. I want to give three quotations as I conclude this morning, friends. If you forget everything else... Please allow the Holy Spirit to ask you the question this week. Am I boiling hot for him? Firstly, an enthusiast says, I would do more than belong to the church, I'll participate. I'll do more than care, I'll help. I'll do more than believe, I'll practice. One of the great early Christian leaders, Augustine, says, Christ is not valued at all unless he is valued above all enthusiasts said Jesus you are above everything and finally a quote from a French philosopher who I'm sure wouldn't be sympathetic to the cause of the kingdom but seemed to have some take on enthusiasm he said this return to the depth of your soul that is where you will always discover the source of sacred fire which inflames us with a love of great values That is where you will see the eternal image of the true beauty which inspires us to a holy enthusiasm. Twelve enthusiasts 2,000 years ago were filled with the Holy Spirit in the upper room and took the gospel to the end of the earth. I was reading just a couple of weeks ago about another twelve enthusiasts, Thomas Clarkson and William Wilberforce amongst them, who several hundred years ago when there were more people friends across the world in slavery than free said we've got a passion to see this change. And they met for a meeting, 12 guys around a table that loved God and wanted to change their world. And within 100 years, the abolition of slavery was passed through Parliament. And I want to encourage us as we bring this series to a conclusion, and thanks for staying with us on it. And I encourage you to read Revelation 1, 2, and 3 again when you get time. I encourage you to understand that Jesus who we serve, who's the Lord of this church and the Lord of his church, I encourage you to sort of take to heart the message again and the technologies available for us to be communicated with. If you can put it with listening to me again, it's available on the podcast. But I encourage us to take all of all the juices of what Jesus was saying to these wonderful local churches, imperfect like us, but responding to the purposes of Jesus 1,900 years ago. And as we walk into the purposes of God into the future, We'll be people that live with a first love. We'll be people that are faithful. We'll be people that are on our guard. We'll be people that are wide awake. And we'll be people that are not lukewarm, but boiling hot. Enthusiasts for Christ, for his church, and for his purposes. May you help us. Amen.